Well, that was the opening music to On the Waterfront, released in 1954 and directed by Elia Kazan, who we've reviewed a few of his movies already. Yes, and we have. Wonderful director. Uh, Gentleman's Agreement and East of Eden. And it stars Marlon Brando, Carl Malden, uh, Lee Cobb, Rod Steiger. Uh, I didn't even recognize him. <laughs> he looks so young. <laughs> and Eva Marie Saint, this was her first first film appearance. Yeah, and she won an Academy Award for this movie. Yeah, not a bad way to start. So, and you just, you had mentioned that it had won eight Oscars. Yeah, it was nominated for 12 Oscars and won eight. Uh, just to mention some. Best Picture, Best Actor for Brando, Best Supporting Actress for Eva Marie Saint, and Best Director for Elia Kazan. It was a blockbuster. Even before there were blockbusters. <laughs> Way before there were blockbusters. Yeah, I, for some reason, I'd, I'd never seen this movie before, and I always thought it was in color. So when it starts off in black and white, I was a little bit thrown off. Um, oh, I don't know why. Maybe, maybe there was a colorized version that came out, you know, back in the 80s or 90s when that became kind of a fad. Maybe, maybe. they did that. I, I didn't read anything about it being colorized. I don't know why I had that in my mind. Uh, but the black and white was beautiful. I think it worked really well in black and white. Excellent cinematography, yeah. Yeah, and those, those, those scenes of the city from the rooftop where they had the pigeon yeah. cages. Yeah, that was... Boy, New York City sure looked different uh, in 1954. <laughs> no kidding. And the music was perfectly matched. Music by Leonard Bernstein. What a, yeah, what the a talent. Yeah, music was really good. Excellent music. Yeah, and you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon at patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. <laughs> I'm, I'm being distracted. Oh, the, the cats have shown up. <laughs> uh, and and on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash classic movie reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from sunny, warm North Bend today. And uh, this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, where the weather's the same as in North Bend, welcoming everyone back to uh, classic movie reviews and on the waterfront. A, a, a movie that was uh, amazing in terms of its scope and, and depth and drama and writing and story and a love story, uh, a battle against corruption, uh, all kinds of things. The one story thing that about two brothers, a story, like yeah, the story, two, oh, two yeah. brothers, yeah. How could I forget and that? And Father Barry's story and kind of how he comes around, yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely a hands-on priest. Well, he, he wasn't, and then he sort of made a decision that he was going to become one. I mean, that, that yeah. speech that he made in the hole of the ship after that guy oh was murdered. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And then he, to, to control somebody, I think he slugged somebody along the way, too. Yeah, he did. That was, oh, no, he slugged, he slugged Terry and the oh, did bar. He, that's right. Yeah. He took it so that Terry would get rid of that gun. Well, anyway, yeah. this film has so many memorable scenes in it. Uh, it's going to be hard to start at the beginning and move through to the end because it's, uh, Brando, Brando is uh, 
just dominates his scenes. And I think this is Carl Malden's best role that he had in his career. And I think that scene in the back of the limousine where the two brothers are talking is one of the finest film scenes ever made. Yeah. And it just goes on and on. And then, well, yeah, it's... yeah, it's going to be tough to go through the the whole thing, but it it does it does touch on some really important themes, though. I think the corruption that was on the waterfront with that Longshoremen's Union and Johnny Friendly kind of taking over the the union and and skimming off like tons of money and and probably stealing and doing all kinds of other things, leveraging that position that he had. Uh, not to mention murdering people that didn't agree with him or tried to cross him. And then there's the, you know, there's a really, really strong theme that kind of wove its way through the film about the the ability of law enforcement to correct these things. And like all they, all that, that you know, all Johnny, no, all Terry needed to do and kind of the whole movie was leading up to this was was go talk to the, the waterfront crimes commission and and so it, it's just kind of like this uh worldview in the movie about the ability of law enforcement to correct these wrongs and and the pushback against that um, by organized crime through intimidation and murder but then at the same time uh, it really does come down to all those longshoremen coming together as a com- with a common purpose of, of, of standing up for themselves and overthrowing Johnny. And, and really, in the end, it really wasn't the law enforcement that, that made the, the change. It was really Terry standing up to Johnny and then, and then all the, the longshoremen getting behind him. So it was, it was an interesting... I think there's a lot of social commentary in this movie. Oh, definitely. Uh, and that's... That runs through uh, uh, Kazan's films. If we go back to Gentleman's Agreement about anti-Semitism and East of Eden, um, and this one, there's a lot of backstory that goes on. I don't know how much of that is accurate or whatever. In terms of, uh, it came out at about the time of the, uh, you know, at the, during the time of the House on American Activities Committee and all of their investigations into. Uh, communism in Hollywood, and Kazan was involved in the testimony. And uh, I think there's, I think some people say that this film, he really pushed himself to make this film as a statement. But also, it's it's based on true incidents. Terry's character is based on the uh, uh, whistleblowing longshoreman named Anthony Di Di Vincenzo, and even Father. Uh, Barry was a real-life priest. Uh, the real-life priest was John Corden. And so it's, it's a whole mix of, of uh, themes and, and, and motivations in it. And we haven't even mentioned the love story. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the love story plays off a little bit like a, almost like a Romeo and Juliet story because... Doesn't it? Yeah. The, yeah, because... Uh, uh, it's so weird. Like when on on IMDb they have the listing of all the cast, and they don't list her on the front p- 
page. It's, it's as, like she's she should have been like second or third in the list. Oh yeah, as Edie Doyle. No kidding. She did a marvelous job for her first first role, and as far as I know, she's still active in uh, entertainment. Yeah, she made a she made a movie, or she was involved in something in 2019. So that's pretty recent. That's but a long Eva career. Marie, yeah, Eva Marie Saint's character uh, gets involved in all of this because her brother was standing up to Johnny Friendly, and they bumped him off. They basically, yeah, they threw him off of a of a roof. Yeah. And Terry was involved in that because he was friends with Edie's brother, and. He thought that they were just gonna like rough him up a little bit or, or lean on him, as they say in the movie. How it goes? He's up on a roof. Pigeon? Uh, yeah, white. I think somebody fell off the roof. I thought he was gonna sing to the crank commission. He won't. I thought they was gonna talk to him. That's the idea. I thought they was gonna talk to him and get him to dummy up. Maybe gave him an argument. Oh, I figured the worst they was gonna do was lean on him a little bit. Well, like I said, maybe gave him an argument. He's been giving Johnny the boss a lot of arguments lately. Wow. He wasn't a bad kid, that Joey. A canary. Maybe he could sing, but he couldn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they, they killed him. And that kind of sets all of the action in motion because now Edie is on a mission to find out who did this and, and why and who's ultimately responsible. And, and she gets kind of mixed up with Terry and they have uh, a love story in the movie. And I thought it, I kept thinking it was like a Romeo and Juliet and I kept expecting maybe one or both of them to die at the end, you know, like in Romeo and Juliet. I know. And boy, he, he came close, didn't he, at the end of the film when they all, those, all those union officials uh, as a group beat him up. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How did he, how did he uh, get up at the end? That was crazy. That's another great line he, where he says, stand me up. Stand me up. Yeah. Well, he doesn't even know where he is. He's like, he then he says, "Am I standing?" Oh, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> you know, the 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 the, uh, the talent of Marlon Brando to improvise. Remember when he first meets Edie in the park, and she has some gloves, and he takes one of the gloves and he just puts it on puts his it on. hand, and yeah. they're walking along, and he's stretching it around. I mean, that was that was pure Brando. He just he just came up with that as a way to. To, to further develop the scene and the characters and his and show his nervousness about about meeting her. Yeah, he was brilliant. He oh. was so good, and and so was Eva Marie Saint. Though really, like the two of them together when they were on on uh, screen together was just like magic. And yeah, Carl Malden was was amazing. He had so many great speeches and so many great lines. Like he had the speech in the church where he was trying to get people to realize they needed to say something and then that speech in the hold of the ship and uh yeah and he he uh i kept expecting him to get beaten up too <laughs> he, it came close yeah but, but not yeah. every one of the leading people in this film have won academy awards wow uh carl madden carl malden 
uh, won a, an Academy Award for Streetcar Named Desire. Lee J. Cobb, of course, for this film. Oh, he was nominated for this film. That's right. He, I don't know that he won. Uh, Rod Stager for In the Heat of the Night. Uh, and then the ones we've already mentioned, Kazan, Brando, Eva Marie Saint. Did Brando have like some makeup on his eyes to make it look like he had like uh, closed eyelids a little bit from boxing? I can't. Oh. I couldn't tell if that was just his the way he looked, or if they'd done some makeup on him. You know, I don't know. I'd have to go back and see. They may have because he'd had such a career in boxing, and he could have been somebody, as he says. But they kept him down because he had to throw a fight. Yeah, I think I'm looking at some other pictures of him. I think that was that was makeup. Gosh, he's had an amazing career, huh? Or my, he had uh, an amazing career. My good friend that I take grocery took groceries to and, and visit with was a good friend of, of Brando's. Um, talked about him a lot. Yeah, he had quite a quite a career. Was this one of his earlier movies? It seems like he was he was so young. Well, he had done uh, Streetcar Named Desire in 1951, I think it was. And he had done a few other films, but he was early on in his career. I think his first film might have been, boy, don't quote me on this, but 1949 or 1950. Born in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. Well, you know, it must be because Henry Fonda's from that area. And he was he was a big talent. Johnny Carson, <laughs> others, but... The, I was going to say the, the union officials who were totally corrupt would would uh, would go after people, no holes barred. They even attacked them in the church and outside the church when they gathered to try to come together as a group to resist the, the influence of the union. And they, they were using clubs and everything else to beat people up. And they would intentionally not kill some of them. They would just beat them up badly to scare them. To try yeah. to hold him in line. Well, they used terror techniques, right? To, yeah. To basically keep a hold on him, because there was only about maybe a dozen of them, and you know the the union had, gosh, it, I think they said it. I think they said twelve hundred members, or it was a, it was a lot. I, I can't remember the exact number. Um, and so the only way they could maintain control of all those people was through terror. And yeah, they would kill some people, and then. There was that one guy that was deciding he was going to talk after the church speech. I think it was K.O. Duggan. Oh, yes. Played by Pat Henning, and then they beat the crap out of him. I don't know if they killed... Oh, they killed him in the hold of the yeah, ship. Yeah, they, they dropped a whole pallet of uh, uh, liquor on top of him. Yeah. And then yeah. that's when the uh, Father Barry character made his, made his very, very strong uh, condemnation of that. I came down here to keep a promise. I gave K.O. my word that if he stood up to the mob, I'd stand up with him. All the way. And now K.O. Dugan is dead. He was one of those fellows who had the gift of standing up, but this time they fixed him. Oh, they, they fixed him for good this time. Unless it was an accident, like Big Mac says. Some people think the crucifixion only took place on Calvary. They better wise up. Taking Joey Doyle's life to stop him from testifying is a crucifixion. And dropping a sling on K.O. Dugan because he was ready to spill his guts tomorrow, that's a crucifixion. 
And every time the mob puts the crusher on a good man, tries to stop him from doing his duty as a citizen, it's a crucifixion. And anybody who sits around and lets it happen, keeps silent about something he knows has happened, shares the guilt of it just as much as the Roman soldier who pierced the flesh of our Lord to see if he was dead. church father boys this is my church and if you don't think christ is down here on the waterfront you've got another guest coming get off the dock father tell you don't do that who said you on boy let him finish every morning when the hiring boss blows his whistle jesus stands alongside you in the shape up he sees why some of you get picked and some of you get passed over. He sees the family men worrying about getting their rent and getting food in the house for the wife and the kids. He sees you selling your souls to the mob for a day's pay. The next bum that throws something deals with me. I don't care if he's twice my size. Now, what does Christ think of the easy money boys who do none of the work and take all of the gravy? And how does he feel about the fellas who wear $150 suits and diamond rings? on your union dues and your kickback money. And how does he, who spoke up without fear against every evil, feel about your silence? Tell him about that. Just watch this. You see that? You want to know what's wrong with our waterfront? It's the love of a lousy buck. It's making love of a buck, the cushy job, more important than the love of man. It's forgetting that every fella down here is your brother in Christ. But remember, Christ is always with you. Christ is in the shape up, he's in the hatch, he's in the unit. He's kneeling right here beside Dugan. And he's staying with all of you. If you do it to the least of mine, you do it to me. And what they did to Joey and what they did to Dugan, they're doing to you. And you, you, all of you. And only you. Only you, with God's help, have the power to knock him out for good. Well, and you could kind of start to see people getting swayed by what he was saying. And even Terry, uh, like, punched that one mobster because he was going to throw something at the priest and at Father Barry. And so uh, I think one of the other mobsters said something to Johnny, like, did you see that? Because they were kind of keeping an eye on Terry. So yeah, that was kind of a turning point, I think, for Terry in the film to where he started to question whether he was doing the right thing and what the right thing was. And he was he was falling in love with Edie. And yeah, they were kind of having a relationship on the side of all this other stuff going on. And he, he didn't want to say anything to Edie about what he knew of, about his, her brother's death because... It was a combination of he was afraid that she would reject him and also there was that code that they had where they wouldn't they wouldn't tell on each other they called it the D and D code. Yeah, yeah. Deaf and dumb, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's it's interesting that they had that code and it kind of worked against them in in the sense that it allowed the mobsters to come in and take over because they wouldn't say anything and um you know the the longshoremen 
are still around. I mean, they still uh, are union. They still work. It's a totally different kind of a work that they do. Now they have those giant cranes that they operate. And Oh, yeah, the technology in the film is really dated because I was fortunate enough to spend an entire day on the waterfront in Hawaii when I was doing some work and watched uh, a, a master uh, shiploader with those container boxes, those huge cargo boxes that trucks bring in. And I tell you that that guy was an artist. The way he would, he had a a, 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 a computer printout of how the ship should be loaded. That's so different mm-hmm. than than what it was seventy years ago. Um, but but that becomes incidental to the film. That's just sort of a side thing because the the issue is the drama, and and uh, so Terry continues his. He's also feeling a lot of guilt. Yeah, totally. It's eating him up because these are people that he lived with, lived, lived near. And he tried to get solace from his pigeons and just kind of hanging out by himself. Uh, and he had a couple of young kids that were sort of being mentored by him. Yeah, were they in a gang? I couldn't tell, like, that. Uh, the the Golden Warriors, I think they were called. I think was so, that, like, yeah. They were, they were, in? They were yeah. a 50s version of, of a gang, yeah. Uh, so it, it continues to get more and more uh, deadly, if you will, because that one guy's killed in the hold of the ship. And then, oh, before we do that, though, I wanted to mention the scene where all the uh, Union officials are in this room at the, at this bar that they hang out in, the back room, counting out the money. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yep. mm-hmm. There was just a boatload of money on that on that table. And, and then... Uh, Lee J. Cobb was totally dictatorial in handing it out. Man, did you did you see Fred Gwynn in that in that yeah, scene? I did. I, rec- I recognized I did. him. He looked I whoa. Did. He looked young. Wow. I did. It's interesting to watch these films and see some of these actors. That might have been his first role. I didn't look that up. It also interesting <laughs> that Rod Steiger uh, was a year younger than Brando, but he's playing his older brother. That's how young. I mean these. Oh wow! He they were just getting started. Oh yeah, I remember. Remember him? Remember Fred Gwynn and uh, my cousin Vinny? He was the judge. Yeah, or <laughs> the the monsters. The monsters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but we digress. Yeah, he was in a car. He was in a TV show called Car Fifty Four. Yeah, Car Fifty Four. He, yeah. he, he had a nice career. Yeah, the the thing I liked about the movie was that it 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 just had probably four or five different storylines going on at once and they were all sort of intertwined but they you were able to follow each one and they all made sense and then yeah they did they all and then they kind of all came together at the end and i i really liked the writing and the dialogue and and like clearly some of these scenes have been become like immortalized as some of the best scenes in in film history wow and and terry's continuing to pull back from being involved in this corrupt regime. And his brother now is feeling the heat from Lee J. Cobb. His brother has got to get him to agree not to testify and not to respond to that subpoena. Because if he he doesn't get that done, then he's going to be in trouble, which leads to that incredibly powerful scene in the the backseat of that, that car. 
How much you weigh, Slim? And you weighed 168 pounds. You were beautiful. You could have been another Billy Khan. That skunk we got you for the manager. He brought you along too fast. It wasn't him, Charlie. It was you. Remember that night in the garden, you came down my dressing room and said, kid, this ain't your night. We're going for the price on Wilson. You remember that? This ain't your night. My night, I could have taken Wilson apart. So what happens? He gets the title shot outdoors in a ballpark, and what do I get? A one-way ticket to Palookaville. You was my brother, Charlie. You should have looked out for me a little bit. You should have taken care of me just a little bit so I wouldn't have to take them dives for the short-end money. Well, I had some bets down for you. You saw some money. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. It was you, Charlie. Okay. Okay. I tell him I couldn't find you. Said no one he won't believe. Here. You take this. You're gonna need it. I mean that. That's one of my favorites. Well, there's a scene before that too that I liked, which was on the rooftop when the investigator comes to talk to him and yeah yeah <laughs> you looking for me oh no not exactly i was just resting my dogs a minute now the next investigation we get into i hope it's got buildings with elevators in them so far this one's just been climbing stairs what are you climbing for well it's worth it if we can tell the waterfront story the way the people have a right to hear it don't you think Didn't I see you in the garden three or four years ago with a fellow named Wilson? Yeah. Thought you were going to take him that night. Man, he really dumped you. He dumped me, huh? What would you say if I told you I held that bum up for half a round? Yeah, yeah, I could see he was hurt. Hey, what do you think I was doing with them combinations, petting them? Just couldn't finish him off, huh? Hey, don't monkey around there. Well, why didn't you finish him off? Oh, what are you talking about, finish him off? I was doing a favor for a couple of pounds of mine. Favor? That's the way it was. That's the way it was. If I'd have put him down, I'd have had a title shot. I was ready that night. Oh, 
Well, you sure looked it. That's when I figured it was all over. It was all over, except for the lousy bet. My own? Yeah. Well, I guess I better get going. Hit those stairs again. Oh, say, was, was that a hook or an uppercut you caught him with that first time? I didn't use no hooks. It was strictly a short punch. Looked like a hook to me. I had that bum all figured out. He had a good left hand, you know what I mean? All right, so I let him tag me with a left hand for a couple of rounds. So just when he starts, he thinks he's getting cute. I step inside a jet. Mop with a left. Mop with a right. Mop with a left. I had him in my arms, and from now on in, we were just dancing. I see. And that's a fact. When those guys want to win a bet, there's nothing they won't stop at. Yeah, he basically admits that he threw that fight and that he had that guy on the ropes, but that there was a bet and his brother. And that's where we learned that his brother was the one who told him to throw the fight. And so that just adds a whole nother like dimension to the movie. I'm glad you brought that up. That's key to the power of the scene in the backseat of the of the car, because he confronts him and says, you know, it wasn't johnny or anybody else it was you it was you you're the one who wanted me to throw the fight and and you're the one who told me it's not my night and i had that guy and i could have been i could have been onto the title fight boxing out in the open at that stadium instead i'm just a what did he call himself i'm just a bum a bum yeah i'm a bum i'm and and the way he said that was he was just so angry about that i'm such a bum uh uh his brother was held a gun at him and was basically saying, you're either going to not testify or you're going to get killed. And, and the look on Terry's face was just so sad. It was like, Oh, I think he, he just had kind of like resigned himself to like, well, if, if you're going to kill me, then go, go ahead because like you're my brother and I relied on you. And they had that great dialogue there. It was powerful. That, that, that alone uh, makes, makes the movie, uh, so special just that one scene just an aside on that they were in that car and uh, there's, there's a shade behind them covering the back window they had to put that in because without it they couldn't come up with another way to block out the outside view from the car so one of the one of the crew said well let's just get a, a window shade and we'll put it on the back window and <laughs> close it <laughs> off <laughs> i didn't even notice that but yeah that is kind of weird you wouldn't see that in a in a real car. No, but it it it. I had to look. I just ran across that when I was reading about the the, the movie. Well, as we know, um, things don't go well for his brother. That's for sure. Well, and it turns out that the driver of that car was was working for Johnny. So they take Charlie and to this garage, and yeah, they kill him. And then we and then Terry finds him. With Edie, he's 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 with Edie, and That's, was that the scene where he busts the door down and he's like in such distress? And then they had to get out of the way of that truck that was trying to run him down, and they broke the door open to get out of the way. No, no, I'm talking about when she was at her apartment and and he comes knocking on the door and and she says, "Go away, I don't want to talk to you." And then he busts her. Oh right! Door down. I think that's a little and bit then, earlier. And then I'm not sure. They start. They start. They have this kind of fight, and she's saying, "Go away!" And he's like, "No, you love me. You need to say you love me." And then they start kissing, and then they hear something like somebody calling his name. I think Terry. Oh, that's yeah, that's right. 
and then so Terry runs out there and then and then Edie follows him and that's I think where they almost get hit by that truck and then as the truck drives away we see Charlie revealed and he's hanging on the side of this wall with one of those hooks god they just hung jacket. him up on the wall it just yeah. another another scene that I mean it just shows the uh, the brilliance of Kazan to put that together that was overwhelmingly sad god yeah and then and then that the way that Terry reacts and says it got Charlie Terry, I'm frightened. Let's get out of here, please. First Joey, and then Dugan. And now Charlie, and then... Please, Terry, someplace where we can live in peace. I'm gonna take it out of that skull. Charlie? I'm gonna take it out of that skull. Please, Terry, they'll kill you, too. Go get the father. Tell him to take care of Charlie. Come on back here and stay with him till he gets here. Terry, please don't do anything. Please! Terry! And for God's sake, don't leave him alone here long. Please, Terry. Do what I tell you. Terry! And he says, don't leave him alone for too long. And yeah. you can just, like, like, his voice is about to crack and he's about ready to break down. Uh, but that's when he goes over to to the bar, Johnny Johnny Friendly's bar, and he's got that gun because uh, Charlie gave him the gun that he was gonna that he'd pulled on on Terry. And then we get that great scene between Terry and Father Barry in the bar, where Father Barry punches him. Stay where you are, Julio. I want to see you, Terry. I'm right in front of you. I don't give me a hard time, Terry. What do you want? Your gun. Go and chase yourself. Come on. Give me the gun. You go to hell. What did you say? Go to hell. Sorry, let me come up there. Get your hands off of me. Now what am I going to do? You want to be brave? And it's none of your business. You want to be a brave man while firing lead into another man's It's none of your business. It's none of your business. You want to hurt Johnny Friendly? Huh? You want to hurt him? You want to fix him? You really want to finish him? What do you think? For what he did to Charlie and a dozen other men who are better than Charlie? Then don't fight him like a hoodlum down here in the jungle because that's just what he wants. He'll hit you in the head and plead self-defense. You'll fight him in the courtroom tomorrow with the truth, as you know the truth. Now you get rid of that gun. Unless you haven't got the guts, and then if you haven't, then you better hold on to it. Give me a beer. It's 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 amazing to me because none of that, not once, has any false note in it. It it just feels like those words are coming out of their mouth without any script or anything else. It's the talent yeah. of those people is just 
the best you could find. I'm glad you mentioned that because there were some there were some moments where I completely lost myself and I forgot I was watching a movie and I felt like I was watching something I know. that was in real life. You know, I felt like not yeah. a documentary so much as but like like this wasn't a movie anymore. It was real people and real situations and this was really happening kind of a feeling, which was, a, which was awesome. And I think that's a real testament to all the people involved in the movie. I echo that completely. It, 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 has, it doesn't have one false note in the whole film to me. Not one. And, and, and I, was, I was really, really interested to see Eva Marie Saint's performance because I, I knew that she had won the uh, Oscar. And her performance is so subtle and so nuanced. And just like a little look here, a little turn of her head there, a, a slight shift in her tone of voice, and it makes all the difference. And, and it was just incredible to see that performance. And, and then just up against Marlon Brando, and she completely holds her own against him. And it, in fact, the two of them even, I think, elevated their performances by being together. Oh, I agree totally. Yeah, yeah, and they played off each other so well. It was, it was like it was real. Again, no, I mean, there no was the there was anything. the scene when they were dancing, and she they kind of busted into that wedding. Yes, kind of, yeah, <laughs> and and they were dancing, and and they were just it was so fun to watch them because it was like they were just two kids having having a good time without all these worries. And she was laughing, and the 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 way she laughed was just so genuine. Um, and then that guy that looked like he was about seven feet tall comes up to him and says, you need to go talk to Johnny. That guy was crazy, scary looking. He looked like he'd been in 7,000 wrestling matches. I mean, talk about an enforcer. I don't even think his name is in my list of characters. I don't know who that was, but he was crazy. He shows up three or four in three or four scenes. Oh, wow. So we kind of digress a little bit there. So... Terry does decide that he's going to go testify at this hearing. And there's somebody that's up before him and, and he, he works for the, for the mob, for these guys, for Johnny. And he's saying that they had lost all of their financial records because they'd been broken into the night before. And the, the prosecutor's like, isn't that convenient that all of your offices were broken into last night? Yeah. <laughs> he says, I don't know what to tell you. They were, we were robbed. You could see how this, this is going, you know, it's like going nowhere. And then, they call Terry up, and Terry just completely spills the beans. And raise your right hand. Name, please. Terry Malloy. Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you God. Right. I do. I do. Seat it, please. Mr. Malloy, is it true that the night that Joey Doyle was found dead, that you were the last one to see him before he was pushed from the roof? That's, yes. That's right. And is it true that you went immediately? Wait, except for the guys that pushed him off. And is it true that you went immediately to the Friendly Bar and there expressed your feelings about the murder to Mr. Johnny Friendly? John Friendly, right. And now, Mr. Malloy, can you tell me whether Mr. Friendly, or I should say Mr. Skelly, said anything to you to indicate his responsibility in getting rid of Joey Doyle? Right. And would you say, Mr. Malloy, that Mr. Friendly made it very clear to you that it was absolutely necessary that he murder Joey Doyle in order to maintain his control Turn that of the waterfront locals? Is that correct? Will there be anything else, sir? Yes, Sidney. If Mr. Friendly calls, I'm out. Any time today? If he calls ever, I'm out. Very well, sir. Thank you, Mr. Malloy. 
You've done more than break the Joy Doyle case. You've begun to make it possible for honest men to work the docks with job security and peace of mind. You may step down now. That's all for now. Then they cut away to another person in a different that we've never seen before, who's like at some country club or something. Oh and yeah, listening to the radio. I think he's smoking a cigar. So was he sort of the big boss then? I think I think he's intended to be the overall boss of uh, Lee J. Cobb and many other waterfront and and I think he represents the mob. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because he's like I don't don't take his call like and and. Don't ever take his call. So he completely wrote Johnny off at that point. So, you know, between that happening and then the police, the federal uh, investigators are on his tail and, and then then uh, Terry stands up to him. Um, it, it's an interesting and kind of sad s- scene or a couple different scenes after that uh, testimony that he gives because everybody turns his back turns their back on him even even the young boy that was that he was kind of mentoring uh with the pigeons turns turns his back on terry and and he terry just seems so alone except for edie edie's there mm-hmm. at his side and she says Kid. Tommy. what do you have to do that for Every one of them. Terry, there's no place that's safe for you now on the waterfront. Maybe inland, out west someplace. A farm. A farm? You could do lots of things, anything, as long as you're away from Johnny Friendly. And even the longshoremen, you try to help them and they just turn their backs and stick to their stupid D&D. Are they taking chances for you? Why should you... You're not even listening to me, are you? You're going down there. That's because John Fenley warned you not to. You're going down there. You think you've got to prove something to them that you're not afraid of them or something? Well, go ahead. Get it over with. Go down to the shape of them and get yourself killed. You stupid pig-headed... What are you trying to prove? They always said I was a bum. Well, I ain't a bum, Edie. Don't worry, I'm not gonna hurt nobody. I'm just gonna go down there and get my rights. We should just go away. We should. We can't stay on the on the waterfront anymore. And and th- that word on the waterfront comes in right there. We can't stay on the waterfront anymore. Let's go west. Maybe we, you can be a farmer. You can do whatever you want. And he yes. just sort of like laughs and says, I could be a farmer. And he just, the, <laughs> that you can see in his mind, that, that, that that's didn't never going to happen. Yeah. That didn't work for him at all. Well, you know, the other thing about that character who we never see that's in that uh, exclusive club watching TV and then he has the guy turn it off. It also, I think, is a representation that while this film deals with this local union and the mobsters involved in that. In the, in the higher level, the, over, the overarching a role of the mob was still going to be around in, in other places, and I think that's what that guy represents. He's not going well, away. We've, we've watched a couple movies lately that I feel like are still really totally relevant to today, and one of the things I thought about as I watched this movie is that 
those mobsters just got smarter about how they operated and they they sort of like legitimized themselves in some way and then got got themselves involved with the law you know the the legal system so that they could have like corrupt judges and corrupt prosecutors and and you know there's been a lot of there's been movies about that too that are that are later not from this time period but um you know it's it's sort of like the as as the enforcement got more as got as the enforcement got stronger and more sophisticated they sort of evolved and got more sophisticated in how they were operating and and you can see that in the Godfather series too. Oh, who Brando sure. was also in in that, yeah. Or in Goodfellas, or on and on. Yeah. The thing I've noticed about the Kazan movies that we've watched, Gentleman's Agreement, East of Eden, now on the waterfront, they all hold up. They could be they could be shown today, and they would be as relevant as they were oh, 60, yeah, 70 years ago. Gentleman's Agreement uh, wouldn't have to be remade. They could just play it the way it was originally filmed with Gregory Peck. Wow, I'd love to I'd love to see a festival of like those three movies back to back on the big screen. I would I would go sit in the theater for six hours for that. Throw in a couple of other Kazan movies. It'd be like a <laughs> it'd be like a, be a whole film. weekend. Right. Yeah. Uh so where are we here with this uh with Well then piece? then Terry decides that okay I can't run away. I can't oh, become yes. a farmer. That's never gonna happen. So then he's going to go back to the waterfront and Edie's like, don't do it. You're going to get killed. And I think he's resigned himself at that point to, yeah, maybe I will get killed, but I still need to go stand up for for my brother and for what I believe in. Yeah, and, and he put on that, that leather jacket that I think belonged to uh, one of the guys that was killed uh, in was the it, hold was of it, the ship. Was uh, it Edie's brothers? It was either was it Edie's the... brother or the guy that got Killed in the hold of the ship when that pallet dropped on him. I can't but remember. But that guy which. had Edie's brother's jacket. So well, that's Edie's right. They, they transferred it. it. Yeah, they they would like switch jackets around. It was sort of like a hand me down of who has the best jacket. That's a that's a subtle touch from Kazan too. It's the passing of the torch on to Brando. Oh, totally. And I don't. At this point, I don't think he cares whether he's killed or not. He's going to go get even with uh, with uh, care, uh, with uh, Lee J. Cobb's character. And the music, the yeah, music so in this part is just amazingly oh, supportive of the theme. Yeah. Hey, Friendly! John Friendly, come out of there! Friendly! Come on out of there! You want another trouble with you? You think it makes you a big man if you give the answers? Well, at the right time, I'll catch up with you. Be thinking about that. Now go on, beat it. Don't push your luck. Wait a minute, you! You take them heaters away from you and you're nothing, you know that? You talk yourself in the river. You take the good goods away and the kickbacks and a shakedown cabbage and a pistol arrows and you're nothing. Your guts is all in your wallet and your trigger finger, you know that? You ratted on us, Terry. From where you stand, maybe, but I'm standing over here now. I was ratting on myself all them years. I didn't even know it. Come on. You give it to Joey, you give it to Dogan, you give it to Charlie, it was one of your own. You think you're God Almighty, but you know what you are? Come on. You're a cheap, lousy, dirty, stinking mug. And I'm glad what I've done to you. You hear that? I'm glad what I've done. And I'm going to keep on doing it till I get... Come on! Come on! So good. Well, and, and that's basically the last 20 minutes of the film is this big showdown at the, on the waterfront. And... And uh, this is where it 
sort of veers away from the theme of, well, we just need to get the law enforcement involved to, you know, really what we need to do is we need to have all these people stand up for themselves and, and they have power in numbers. And I think, you know, that's kind of the social commentary. I think that's yeah. the message that I came away with the film is that, you know, there, yeah, there's going to be corruption. There's going to be these bad actors who are going to try to terrorize us and try to beat us into submission. But we're vastly outnumbering them. And, and if we just stand together, we can defeat them. And to me, that was an incredibly relevant and powerful message for today. And yes. I thought that's the that's where I thought, wow, this movie is just as relevant today as it as it would have been in nineteen fifty four. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. To me this film is a is a ten. Actually a ten plus, but it's a ten. I I can't find anything. Yeah, I know. That's we, we, like Arthur Arthur's got us like revising our, our rating scale <laughs> like where we're gonna need to go to like it's one out of a hundred. <laughs> like, one to a hundred. And then, and then this we get was to a hundred, we have to go to two hundred. <laughs> but it, it is it, those final scenes though are so well done too. They don't, it looks so real. It's the realism. And, and, is well, amazing. even the way that they even the way that they uh, filmed Terry walking at the end. You know, where yeah. he, he gets up and he and he walks up the the plank to the to the dock, and then he's walking along the dock to the warehouse and and. The camera is from his point of view, so it's like all blurry and like wobbly, and like you think he's gonna fall over, and then they cut to him stumbling, and and then they cut back to this first person view, and this is really really good editing and and cinematography there. Well, anyway, I, I didn't give you my rating. I I, I uh, my rating is a ten as well. So we're on the ten train. Yeah, we are. And well, and and rightfully so. And I love some of the names of the characters: Johnny Friendly, the Gent. KO, Big Mac, <laughs> Truck, Slim. I mean, they got, <laughs> they got Moose, <laughs> Moose, yeah. Pop Doyle, Jocko, <laughs> Big Mac. <laughs> wow. And yet we can't yeah. remember who it was that 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 huge guy, the seven thousand wrestler character. Oh I don't know which don't guy know. that was. Wonderful well, movie. And, and I noticed there was a couple. There were a couple black men that were playing longshoremen. One of them had a few lines. I think it was Rudy Bond playing Moose. Um, yep. They didn't have big roles at all, but I, you know, I did notice that there were a few, few folks that were, uh, that were in the, in the, in the scenes there. It was the beginning people. in the late forties and the early fifties of finally a transition in the film industry and uh, television came later for even any diversity in the cast. Yeah. And I think that's also probably something that Kazan was aware of. I read that uh, somewhere along the way, well, Kazan always wanted Brando to uh, be the the main character, but at some point they had some disagreement or went on hold, and he, Kazan actually did a screen test with Frank Sinatra in the role. Oh wow! And Frank Sinatra was from Hoboken, New Jersey, where this takes place. But uh, it all came together after uh, after a while. Do you think that this was is the first film that really deals with sort of this theme of of like the mob and 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 like it's such an influential movie for later films like I, I would think even the godfather would be influenced by this in some some way 
I do. Um, I do. There had but I been think films a lot of the like, well, a lot of the gangster movies before this one, I felt were more caricatures. Not they. This felt really real to me. Like this could really yeah. happen. Like yeah. I think a lot of the films after World War II became much more realistic. This is definitely one of them. I can't think of another one off the top of my head before this that would have been so realistic in the in the portrayal of uh, corruption. Yeah. Well, it was a really good movie. Good good choice. So we are we move onward as we approach our two hundredth podcast. We're we're closing yeah, in on two hundred. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Um, so up next we've got the Green Man, which has been building up in my mind for like the last month. I can't wait to watch it. I'm so excited. I'm going to watch it this weekend. I hope I haven't raised the expectations too highly <laughs> because of Alistair Sim and his bumbling bombs. And then we have two movies that we've picked out. I've picked out one called A Monster Party, and it's a, it's a stop-motion animation from the Rankin uh, studio, and those are the folks that did the really famous sort of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and, and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And they did a full-length motion picture with all of the Universal monsters as as characters. <laughs> it's hilarious. The, uh, the I have not seen it, but you sent the preview. Nancy and I watched that. We couldn't stop laughing. And it's yeah. got it's got some musical <laughs> numbers. Yeah. Oh, you watched it already? No, just we just watched the preview that you sent. I've never seen it either, and I and I actually didn't even know it existed until we had this challenge of finding a movie that we thought might not be a 10. And and you sent me a text and you were joking like, well, oh, what if we end up liking this and we think it's a 10, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to rethink our rating scale, won't we? I think it's going to be pretty entertaining. I don't know if it's going to be a 10, but I think uh it's an it's kind of an oddity and and also it kind of looks amazing in some parts too, so it should be pretty fun. I remember watching those claymation or whatever they were called back then in the sixties. They yeah. kind of, they started Burl Ives. I always think of Burl Ives whenever I see those. Yeah, he plays the snowman who sings, and he's in that Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer yeah. uh, TV special that they did. Um, and then you chose one too. What was your choice? I chose uh, my favorite brunette from nineteen forty seven. With Bob Hope, Dorothy Lamore, Lon Chaney Jr., Peter Lorre, and you have to watch carefully for a cameo by Bing Crosby, and it's a film noir parody, and it's <laughs> it's available on Amazon Amazon Prime. Fun movie, but again, if we get a ten, then we really do need to go back to school on calibrating our ratings. But it's fun. It's a fun film. Well, you you kind of had me at a parody of a film noir. That sounds pretty pretty fun to watch so all right uh well that was our review of on the waterfront um another really excellent film lots of awesome memorable scenes in there and coming to you from north bend this is matt and from los angeles this is bob wishing everybody happy movie watching <laughs>